SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. The war is just beginning. And I will not be the last Jedi. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies and franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergy. With me is Thrasher. Pew! Pew, pew, pew! Pew, 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 pew! And BJ. Ah! And we are talking about the least controversial Star Wars film, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, written and directed by Ryan Johnson. This came out in 2017, um, according to Box Office Mojo, off a budget of, let's say, the higher end, a 300 15 million it made 1.3 billion dollars that sounds good and of course it is but when you look <laughs> at the prior film why can't i find that damn link the force awakens because there'd been you know a big build-up there hadn't been a live-action star wars film in a while that one worldwide made two billion so compared to two billion 1.3 doesn't look as snazzy however i take 1.3 billion any day um yeah star wars the last jedi this started a fan uh of anger campaign that I think was unwarranted uh, and that being said Ryan Johnson is a bit of a provocateur when it comes to genre and structure uh, I'd like to know uh, fellas if, if you've ever seen any of his other films before Last Jedi he did Brick, The Brothers Broom Bloom, excuse me, and Looper and most recently he did Knives Out anyone ever seen any of his uh, pictures? I've never seen any of his uh, pictures. Saw the episodes of Breaking Bad he directed. I heard those are quite good, especially the Fly one. Oh no, the Fly one is amazing. Uh, I've, only seen, I've only seen parts of uh, Looper, but not not enough to say I've seen the movie. I saw Looper because I mean it was so hyped as like the next coming of Christ, like science fiction film, right? And uh, I saw it, and I'm like, I, I just thought it was slow and kind of boring, and I fell asleep during the last ten minutes when I guess all the stuff happens kind of felt like um, M. Night Shyamalan a little bit like that oh here's mm-hmm, a twist mm-hmm. and like, yeah uh, hmm. well I mean the problem with the M. Night Shyamalan stuff is uh, if that twist doesn't work then like the whole movie's kind of spoiled and like kind of ruined it's kind of like a bad Twilight Zone episode if you don't do it right mm-hmm. um, so but yeah Last Jedi I saw this uh, on the theater on, on Christmas we've uh, my wife and I have been doing a tradition with her family where we go to a movie on Christmas Day which um, I'd never done before. I've had Jewish friends that did that quite a lot, but um, anyway, and I, I liked it. I, I really appreciated the the different changes um, Ryan Johnson did. That that being said, especially next week or when we talk about the um, episode nine, Rise of Skywalker, um, it, it's clear this was not a planned trilogy. Uh, Thrasher, some initial thoughts. Well, just. 
just sort of two two things. I feel I feel very left out of the the conversation surrounding this movie because I did not I did not love this movie and I did not hate this movie. If if I were to rank and my own if I if I were sort of rank the Star Wars movies in terms of like how much I enjoy them, this would probably be the perfect mathematical center uh, of that chart. And it's and it's and it's strange because I think just about everybody else either loathes this film or considers it the the best Star Wars film ever made. Uh, where and I think everything everything that's good about this film and everything that's bad about this film comes from the same place, and it's a place I can respect. Uh, Ryan Johnson made this movie like he would n- never get a chance to make a Star Wars movie ever again. Eh, yeah, I, I, I can I can see that. Uh, Bj, well, it's. I'm sort of in Thrasher's, uh, you know, wheelhouse there. I really think that it was an enjoyable movie. I think it was a good movie, but it didn't feel like a Star Wars movie. And Mm. that's my big thing, is it didn't feel like it fit. And you had multiple movies going on there, because you had that that whole, the whole Force side felt like a good Star Wars movie. The other side felt like Battlestar Galactica. Which mm-hmm. I would have loved to have seen a Battlestar Galactica movie with the whole like fuel thing and all. We'll we'll get there though. We will, and I, I think those are good points. Um, I I liked it more than I hated it, but you're right. I'm not like there's something really about we can talk about like the internet discourse. I think around this first briefly before getting into the the, the film proper. Um, and listeners, if you want to hear us talk about things like uh, The Force Awakens and hundreds of other movies uh you can go to sequelcast2.com to check out our past library with the last jedi it it really is a a picture where the way how it was made i think really sort of informs what ryan johnson did this screenplay was being written while the force awakens was being filmed because it was released you know two years after force awakens in 2017 in 2017 when force awakens came out in 2015 uh so he was told he could do his own thing and they liked the script he turned in. They didn't fire him like they've done with some other uh, directors of um, these um, newer Disney Star Wars movies. And, but it, it shows, like, I, I read some interview somewhere, J.J. Uh, Abrams, when, when he saw this movie, or, or when he got the script, I suppose, he just started laughing his, his ass off at when, um, like, Snoke dies and stuff like that because it's not stuff he would have done. And it's worth noting, J.J. Abrams was not supposed to direct Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. It was supposed to be Colin Trevorrow, who did uh, Jurassic World. Is that the first of the new Jurassic Parks? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've monologued quite a bit here, but anyone have, have thoughts on that? In that? We talked a bit about it last week, about the plan trilogy stuff. Well, there there are... There are a lot of baller moves in this screenplay, but mm. I don't think they all kind of like gel gel together. And and I'm sure we'll go into this. Well, like let's let's take let's take the the death of Snoke. Um, yes, okay. You know, kill, killing who you think the main villain's going to be off in the second film that really is an unexpected turn. Shakes things up. But as a result, it does deflate the villain's the villain's pre- premise. Like if you're just if you're just going to off him, and we have no reason to care whether or not he lives or he dies, then what's the point of even having him in the, in any of these movies? 
And when they're so coy about Snoke's origins and they just like knock him off like that, like not even doing a big ass fight scene. I mean, I, I get that well, it's unexpected, but well, even then, we don't we don't exactly need an origin for Snoke. We just need a reason to care about about mm. why he's in this movie. We need to we need to know what he wants and why we should care about it. They got some really weird implications about him in the movie as well, like where they talk about you know Snoke getting to Ben Solo. It's like where the hell did Snoke come from? How does he have access to this kid? And why, why has why, Luke not taken him out yet? Why, why does the mm. galaxy keep falling under the control of evil old bathrobe men from space? <laughs> I mean, yeah, and yeah. it's... I do like the, the costume for Snoke in this. He has this like glittery gold robe and it, it looks reminds me a little bit of Skeletor's final armor in that terrible Masters of the Universe <laughs> movie. I was thinking um, more Hugh Hefner, like... Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh man, that's really funny. Like you a, have a there is a man. dark lord of the Sith. Yeah. Welcome to my Force Grotto. <laughs> you know what would have been a bigger twist if if Snoke hadn't died from that, and like literally mm. just pushed himself up with his arms the, and had, the torso know, just, just comes up. Yeah, <laughs> just like you think that could just stop me. <laughs> when they did that, I almost thought like they would. He would maybe flicker, and it turns out it was a hologram, not really him. Oh, man. Yeah, after the hologram fake-out in the first film, I could see that happening. But, but this we... with the forced projection fake-out. Oh, Jesus Christ. We should, um, I guess before getting started, the thing I, I was meaning to go on is, does anyone recall like all the internet furor about this film? It's still going on. Yeah, uh, yes, still... why? Why? Well... Is it because like people, like they had something in their head of what the movie would be, and then it's like this... Disney fire Ryan Johnson. Like, listen, a corporation doesn't give a shit what people tweet at them, really. If a lot of people do, it might get their attention, but they don't owe, in my opinion, movie studios and corporations in general do not owe their buying public shit. Especially when it comes to Star Wars, because people are going <laughs> to yeah. watch it anyway. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> Like seriously, even if you yeah. freaking hated the, this one, you still went to go see the next one. Yeah, of course. And Thrasher. Well, no, that is something I have heard f several times from many of this film's detractors. They will mention, and I've seen it five times, so I know what I'm talking about. It, it takes me back to a latter day, or possibly at this point midday, um, Simpsons joke where where Lisa's trying to make friends with people in the nerd community and someone suggests mm. comic book guy and she says, no! His favorite movie is Star Wars and he hates Star Wars! And that's what I feel like is happening. That's really funny. Uh, yeah, also people... Um, part of what the internet has illuminated, especially things like Twitter, where people can kind of rise up in mass, is people like to pick a side, Right. And you cannot have any middle ground, kind of like we all feel about this film. You have to really like it or really hate it. And that you can go on, on Twitter and contact the director of the film and say, like, your movie's a this guy's movie is a piece of shit. Uh, isn't really cool. I mean, you're free to do that, I suppose. That's the nature of the medium, but it's... I mean, there was even a fan edit of this while it was still in theaters. Oh, that God. cut out all the women characters, and the director, Ryan Johnson, tweeted about it and thought it was the funniest thing he's seen in his life. 
<laughs> I wouldn't call you... that a fan edit. I think that, that at that point, are you really a fan? <laughs> like, how do you um, cut? Uh, like, a, how do you a, cut a, all the women characters out of Star Wars? Leia is the, such the, a significant portion of the. Isn't, the I mean, tr- <laughs> yes. Well, it, she's it, more it, than it, a half portion. Oh, well, jeez. Three quarters portion. Not just the trilogy. I mean, the whole Star Wars series, I think, does a, a fairly good job with, with women, for the most part. Perhaps, you know, Padme and Revenge of the Sith, notwithstanding. But it is, you know, with strong female characters and stuff. And I don't... Part of the, the, the people feeling like they own Star Wars has been around so long, you know, you, you feel like it belongs to the fans. And on some level it does, but that doesn't mean they should do what you say. I mean, I'm really disturbed by the Sonic the Hedgehog the fans out, uh, outcry resulting in a redesign of Sonic the Hedgehog for the character. I don't know. I think that one was warranted. It really did not look like anything like like what you perceive as the character. It's oh, it looked like, hideous. You know, it's I... kind of like the, the <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. It's like, that's as much as I love that film, it doesn't look like Super Mario Brothers. Well, the, yeah, that, that, well, that Sonic the Hedgehog design, it's the classic compromise design that exists when one of the producers wants it to look like a photorealistic hedgehog and another producer wants it to look just like it does on the game's box. And so you end up with that that gibbering homunculus from the original trailer. That, you know, the that teeth is what got me. Producers not understanding the audiences. Mm, like, who yeah. is yes, your audience? Yeah. Who is your audience for a, for a Sonic the Hedgehog fan? One adults who love Sonic the Hedgehog to children. What are they going to prefer? Not a photorealistic monstrosity. Yeah. Well, also, they... uh, chili dog enthusiasts. <laughs> They've been making Sonic the Hedgehog games for over 30 years now, right? You have people who grew up on Sonic who have kids that are in high school that, that love Sonic, right? Oh, the math on that doesn't quite work. Shit. Anyway, but <laughs> yeah, no, you know no, what I'm no, saying? That, like, this that is... is valid. I, I have... Is it? Okay. I have students' parents that are my age. Right. Um, and, you know, it's a generational thing. And, and Sonic is family-friendly. He has an attitude, unlike the fat plumber Mario. Um, but we're, we're losing the plot here. Back to the last... I, think, I actually think we're on a good point there. Like, okay. It's yeah. This whole idea of you do have a major pop culture staple here, right? With many, many years of, mm-hmm. of background. And I think that's... Point. This was so different than what any other Star Wars film had been. I think there's all kinds of weird reasons with that where you can go into, like, what makes a Star Wars film with, like, the basis of the old serial films and the hero's journey and all that kind of stuff. You can get it... And this one was such a departure from that. I think that's part of what the outcry is. Is that you have something yeah. that is an established part, and you know it, and you know what it's supposed to be like, and all. And then this was so different. That's also why. So when when this movie came out, I feel like within a week of its release, it was announced that Rain, Ryan Johnson was going to be given his own full trilogy. In all yes. honesty, I don't think that's going to happen because uh, I think they already of... retracted that. Oh, did no, they? Uh, no, no, that's incorrect. Oh, it's... He's he, he's still working on it, but they oh. haven't said anything like planned release of blah 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 they're kind of they, they want to give it a bit of a rest in theaters um so maybe it but, is maybe it isn't but but just despite all that like i i think that trilogy is never going to happen if only because we've seen we've seen how the current star wars regime treats auteurs and treats people mm. that have very specific visions 
And Ryan Johnson does strike me as the person who would, as this movie proves, he brings a very specific vision to Star Wars. I don't think he's going to be allowed to do that again. Yeah, I, I think what you're referring to, Thrasher, is them uh, shit-canning the directors of um, Episode Nine, Colin Trevorrow, and of the Han Solo movie, the, uh, oh, what are their names, the Lego movie guys. Uh, Lord and Miller. Thank you, Lord and Miller. Um, right. They they want you to, to stay in line and not draw outside the lines. And I think under the original Lucasfilm uh, regime, or you could even say Lucasfilm Empire, if you wanted to make a joke, uh, Star Wars could get a bit wild and crazy because George Lucas is a creative, but also, also kind of a weird guy, right? Like he, did people want a prequel trilogy of of politics and of, of, of like a, a space Jesus child? Probably well, not. Well, that, that's one of the interesting contrasts or, or in some cases, lack of contrast. The original trilogy had kind of a specific f- feel. The prequel trilogy tried to tell a different kind of story with its own feel but mm-hmm. then with this new trilogy at least with the force awakens we're going back to square one we're going back to the feel of the original trilogy but this movie has its own feel that is completely unique and a trilogy of this feel may very well work uh, mm. but as it stands it just jar it's just very tonally jarring between the the rest of the body of work very right and bj I was just, I, I'm, I, I get where he's going with that. It's very, very much different, as you say. Certainly. Um, so, Star Wars The Last Jedi. At, at the end of, of um, Force Awakens, you know, they have kind of people cheering, and, and it kind of mirrors the uh, ending of Star Wars A New Hope. So, and you think, oh, oh, the good guys are in a good thing, a good path. But then I'm very confused at the, at the beginning of this film. It's about like a big evacuation, and I'm like, didn't they win last time? Like, it, there was something right off the bat that put a bad taste in my mouth. Well, this this film would appear to take place mere minutes after uh, yeah, the yeah, last yeah. film uh, ended. But well, I guess it's it's part it's part of like sort of not not laying out the stakes because you know the. The, the, the First Order's uh, Starkiller base is, is destroyed, taking presumably a lot of their personnel and resources with it, uh, but then the Supreme Leader's fleet shows up uh, in orbit around uh, the Resistance's planet, and if, if I may be a very pedantic nitpickety nerd, um, I just want to point out that in the, in the Force Awakens, the planet that the uh, Resistance is hiding on has a complex ring system. That ring system is nowhere to be seen in this film. So that's why I assumed it was a new planet. Hmm. I assume that maybe they have been hopping around for a little bit, and then we just make a time jump when we go back to Rey. I don't know. I, I always got the sense that this was very shortly after. Well, Thrasher, what you're forgetting is an Italian comic in which Sonic the Hedgehog collected all those rings around the planet <laughs> through a space warp and went back to the Green Hill Zone. Okay, you got me. I I would never notice a thing like that, but that... I mean, that that's astonishing to me that they would... The thousands of people that work on a movie of this budget for a, a huge a company as Disney... How does that stuff get missed, or was it... Uh... I'll, I'll tell you what, while, we, while this conversation goes mm. on, I'm going to check Wikipedia and see if sure. those are, in fact, two different planets, because BJ okay. may be on to something. 
Yeah, it, it could be, but you're thrown right in the middle of this where it's kind of chaotic and, and they're on the run. And I, I don't know, I was a bit discombobulated by that. BJ, do you think that was, do you think they're just doing that to, we got to copy Empire Strikes Back now and, and have the good guys under siege? No, I, I think they were, I think that's legitimately just what Ryan Johnson wanted to do. I really think that any allusions to Empire here are more just coincidental. Because um, I actually got, mm. I got more of an Empire feel out of the third one in the in the in the sequel trilogy. Yeah, I got it, a more it, of an Empire feel hmm. there. Like Empire and Jedi sort of combined. That's interesting. Uh, but I for, for a for the sequel trilogy, you know, they don't do a whole lot with space battles, unfortunately. Or, but this this opening for Last Jedi, I think, is is excellent with the bombing run, with the exception of a joke about being on hold. Uh, that, is, from, that was so incongruent with what Star Wars is. It, yeah, it's with, definitely, um, that felt very pandering to the audience of, oh, we should make mm-hmm. them laugh. Like Star Wars is always like a random one-liner once in a while kind of kind of laugh. Yeah, so you to, to set the stage, you know, Poe Dameron is, is leading uh, an, X-wing, uh, an X-Wing squadron, and they're the resistance. I always want to say rebels, don't you? They both start with an R. Uh, or oh, they call attack. themselves rebels at the end. Just like, all right. Yeah, let's, okay, let's make I, it I more... looked it up. It yep. is the same planet. It is the, uh, the planet Dakar. Did it mention that it has rings on it or not? I did not look up the planet specific entry. Let me let me do that while we keep this. Going. Sorry, Thrasher. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> so they are launching an attack against a dreadnought, which is a a big ass ship, and they need to um, like like. What did you think of this? opening action sequence in space. It, I really loved it. It reminded me of playing the Wing Commander in X-Wing games as a kid, and it felt really dynamic. You're introducing the, the um, Rose's sister with the bombs, and they jam. I, I enjoyed it, but the bombing thing was so weird. Like, that, the idea of bombing like that, especially when they've established that they use, you know, torpedo and missile-type things from Y-Wings, like, where did these bombers go? It's just so we can have, like, a World War II-style scene? Well, I think, you mean I think where it's it like, is to have yeah. a World War II style bombing scene. Although that being said, I I personally did not mind those bombers only because be, because Star Wars has always been kind of so so whiz bang about its space opera and about the space mm-hmm. battles. I kind of I kind of didn't mind that. Like everything else in Star Wars works like a World War One dogfight um, with with puddle jumpers, but. So, so like having a bomber that just flat out drops bombs kind of worked for me. I, I liked it too. It's sort of like doing carpet bombing with a lot of little bombs instead of a, a big torpedo that you 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 know have to do heat seek or it's a dumb fire and you just shoot it straight ahead. It gives some visual dynamism. Uh, it also lets them sell a toy, right, of a different ship. Mm-hmm. If, if we're going to be I cynical, mean, yeah, or or, or three <laughs> different Lego sets, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> the one with battle damage, <laughs> the one without. <laughs> the one that's broken, it's literally just pieces in a bag. <laughs> the one that's been the, destroyed. The one, the one where you order the box, but the, the ship won't be available for six months, but if you get the box, you get a, a certificate you can send in for the ship. Why are they not doing that? would make so much money. Why are they not doing it? Like, I know it was just because they literally couldn't get, Kenner couldn't get the stuff off the, off the, the made. But man, people would buy that up now. I mean, yeah, back in the day, back you know, when DVD sales were robust, people would 
would buy the the anime thing where it was volume one of a six volume TV series set <laughs> yeah. with an empty cardboard box and charge and pay an extra twenty dollars for that premium. Yeah, uh, I'm cardboard. That. I got a few of those. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying to DVD shame you, but it was a trend, uh, for better or for worse, involving cardboard. Um, I, so, oh, so I, the planet Dakar, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it in fact does canonically have a ring system. <laughs> Thank you, Thrasher. I guess we were just so, inside the rings. Oh yeah, that's our that's our explanation. The, the camera like, is past the rings and the orbit, which is why you cannot see. How weird! <laughs> good, good, good catch, Thrasher, and thank you for doing the research. You're Under very us. welcome. I hope this was entertaining for our listeners. So, I, one question I had is: there's, yeah. there's a piece of technology we see at the end of this movie. Why does the dreadnought yeah. have the cannon it has there, but not that one? Because they're the, still constructing it, and they patch it on at the last second i don't know i i, I don't know i mean then we <laughs> oh no I, can't, I don't want to spoil anything for the next movie okay yeah let's yeah well i mean that, that but that is kind of well that that is i think one aspect where this movie does sort of shoot itself in in the foot um because the the pre, the premise of this movie is is essentially it's essentially a, a technical problem because when the resistance does evacuate their base mm-hmm. they are running from the first order and it and it comes down to a fuel shortage they only have enough fuel to go a certain distance make a certain number of jumps uh, and it's it's a waiting game and there's and the solution that uh, Rose and Finn come up with uh, the Rose Finn and Poe come up with is also a very technical solution involving sabotaging a specific piece of equipment so that they can't be they they can't be tracked and when your movie is reliant on very specific technical details for its story to work you can't help but notice all the other specific technical details you know for instance when the fleet is uh is fleeing Dakar why does the why does the first order waste time bombing the surface when they can just shoot down the transports that they are adjacent to? Because it wouldn't make a nice explosion. Also, why couldn't they hyperspace jump in front of the fleet? Yes, that, that's what I was going to say, BJ. Like, but, you know, space is not really a, complained about the, line. the the fuel like running out of fuel thing, but we've known about fuel in Star Wars for a very long time because sure. in Episode Four yeah. you see them fueling up the X wings. Why did people complain about fuel? I didn't hear that one. I think they were thinking I, about... I mean, yeah, the hyperspace fuel was a new thing. Okay. Like, okay, that was Fine. a new concept. But, like, the regular fuel, which is what the real, like, problem is... I could see, mm-hmm. like, you know... Even without the idea of, like, hyperspace fuel, which they go into in Solo, you get... You can get the idea that, okay, maybe something's damaged or they just don't have enough, you know, power saved or something in their batteries to be able to run the hyperspace, you know, the hyperdrive more than once. Like you can you can wave that away, but like I can't believe people couldn't understand the idea of you need fuel to run a spaceship. Of course you need fuel. I mean, what do you think they have? Like a Jedi in the engine room, like ca- casting <laughs> perpetual motion machine force. You fuel. say He's that. making energon cubes to to <laughs> power the the ship. A bunch of Ewok. There's a bunch of Ewoks on a wheel. <laughs> oh. Actually, not just Ewoks on not not just Ewoks on a wheel. They they shove live screaming Ewoks that don't perform into the engine to give an extra boost. That's awful. So, so Thrasher, you're going to say something. Well, just just that, like, 
the, the, these kinds of details are, are is the kind of thing that Star Wars kind of usually glosses over because because in Star Wars in all of its incarnations when it comes down to it it doesn't really matter how spaceships work spaceships just exist to take you to where the adventure is and in this, this is the one instance where they're not the spaceships are there to take the resistance away from where the adventure is and then all these sort of practical concerns get pushed to the pushed to the forefront of the plot and I think and I think that's something the audience wasn't prepared for but it's but it's not it's not a bad a bad premise you know people in dire straits with with dwindling resources there's a lot of drama that can come out of that um so something something that bothered me and I didn't know how to articulate it uh until it was brought up by Trace Bill Yu on Movie Sign with the Mads mm. but um Finn so we we know in the previous episode Finn was badly injured by Kylo Ren and fell into a coma. Well, in this movie, he just wakes up and he's fine. Uh, which I will talk about that later when something else happens in the movie. But how is Finn reintroduced in this movie with a leaky diaper joke? What gets me? That's not mm. even the established Star Wars tech. They have the established back to tank. Like they mm. that's like him waking up in the back to tank and just wandering out naked and wet would have been just as good and probably fit more yeah but but like from this from this point on the movie treats finn like a buffoon i i agree he he gets yeah. done finn dirty and rose in this are done dirty like you introduce rose in a really uh, we haven't gotten there but those two their whole plot is just it's just a disservice to those characters rose i i have less of a problem with but let's let's keep going so oh, well, you... I'm, I'm glad oh. I, I'm glad you brought up Rose. Yes. Um, I loved Rose. I thought Me she too. was a fantastic character. She she has the means, the motive, and the opportunity to be a hero. She only really gets one kind of heroic deed, but but she's exactly the kind of character that I wish this trilogy had had from the very beginning. And looking at the trilogy as a whole, I'm infuriated by how little of her we actually got. It's almost like she's Orlando. Oh. Oh no! Mm. Oh God, you're right. Yeah. I, so yeah. in thirty years, she's gonna have a lot to do in the third movie of a new trilogy. God help. And she'll get her own spinoff series on Disney Plus, just like Lando. Wait, Wait what? Are we? Uh, um, it, it, that's what the rumor is. The the weird uh, way in with, episode with nine, how it how it ends. Uh, no, with Billy D. Oh no! See, I, I want to. I want to be a old Lando, Lando and, series with Donald Glover like that. That. That's what I want. I mean, never say never say never. I don't know if you back up the the money truck and it has enough in it, people can convince to do anything. But uh, let's. Um, one of the major characters uh, in this is uh, Vice Admiral Holdo, played by Laura Dern, and she was a focus of a lot of pissed off fans. But I I think she's pretty neat. She has the the colorful hair. She's she's stern. Kind of like Leia, kind of a counterpoint to Leia. You know, they're both stern, who's Leia's a general in these sequel movies. Um, kind of a stern commander. And I like the twist at the beginning that after the assault on the Dreadnought, Poe Dameron gets his ass chewed out because there's so many other people that died. And even though they blew up a, a big bad guy ship, there's a lot of human lives lost and they only have a, a small amount of resistance members surviving on the ship but I mean that that's a very Battlestar Galactica thing where they have especially with the the newer series from the 2000s where you have you know the list of people that are alive on the board 
Well, I think Holdo Holdo is another character that gets that gets done dirty, you know, by by this screenplay. Uh and and I and I can't help but but think that within the context of Star Wars, she's someone who's been promoted to her level of incompetence. Because like hmm. at least everyone when she's introduced, everyone seems to be in awe of her. She's supposed to be a brilliant strategist. Um, and then we spend the rest of the movie seeing her not be a brilliant strategist. We don't see her do much at all. She's just kind of because she don't, she won't say anything. She won't let anything on, and that's that's. And and it's a shame because because Dern is turning in one hell of a performance. I mean, oh, she really inhabits character. this character. There was so uh-huh. much potential in this character, and and then. I don't know. I feel like she's trying to fill a hole they should have filled with Admiral Ackbar. Hmm. Instead of what happened with Admiral Ackbar. I, I know people are like, oh, he's just memes. But if you are a fan of Star Wars and you've watched, you know, the Clone Wars and stuff, then you know, like, Ackbar is not just it's a more meme. of a like, backstory. Actually, yeah. Yeah. And he's actually like a, you know, a well-known strategist. You know, he survived the Clone Wars and all that stuff. And you can you have a lot of you know appreciation for him, and to see that you know him go out that way, it's kind of like. Uh, but then Leia, you know, the Force thing like that, like I actually would have preferred to lose Leia there. I think it would have been so yeah. much more impactful, and you could have had Holdo fill in that that role, right? You could uh, have had. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that scene because that's a big part with this side of the story, and then we should circle back to the Ray story with Luke, because uh, that yes. has other problems. Thrasher? So while so while the First Order is pursuing is pursuing the Resistance fleet, Kylo Ren uh, leads an assault on them, and there's a, a brief a brief kind of space battle. But as part of this space battle, uh, the the Rebel or the Resistance flagship takes a direct hit, and in a scene that that left me completely shocked and floored, uh, uh, Leia gets sucked out into space. Only a scene or two later, we then see her in space, use the force to pull herself back into the ship. And I, Leia being able to use the force, that honestly shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. Uh, I'm kind of shocked we haven't seen her do that until now. That being said, this is something that this movie does time and time again. It makes you think a character has been imperiled, and then it just undercuts that tension completely. It's like I, I was I was affected when Leia got blasted out into space, and then it turns out my emotions were completely unfounded because she pulls herself back into the ship. But then she falls into a coma, and now I'm really upset. And then those emotions are also betrayed because later she just wakes up out of her coma, fine, just like Finn did. And that happens time and time again. We think something impactful has happened around one of the characters. We think their story has been brought someplace or brought to an end, only to find out that, no, they're fine. It's like, oh, no, the doctor's in danger. Oh, until next week. It it reminds me of uh, the the Super Nintendo game um, Final Fantasy IV, which was originally released in the U.S. as Final Fantasy II, in that you, <laughs> it, it routinely uh, kills off characters only to have them show up maybe five hours later. And it's like, you see, you thought I got knocked off the cliff, but with my karate training, I was able to hang onto the edge, and uh, now I'm here to be an extra member in your party. And, yeah, if you're going to kill someone, kill them. Or, or the other thing to do, which I think um, they did brilliantly in the comics with the, the death of Superman... Is like you kill him, and then you have a whole year of comics with no Superman. You have the imitation Superman, and then when you bring him back, you you've waited so long that it really has more of a punch when uh, he comes back in the story. Uh, if you, know, you think this movie, 
Oh, that's not just a Ryan Johnson thing that happened mm-hmm. under J.J. Abrams in the next movie when, oh no, uh, yeah. somebody uh, died. That oh no, uh, he was just on another ship. Like quite really, a lot. yeah. Um, the, the but yeah, it it undercuts the tension. If you're going to kill off a character, yes, have the courage to actually kill them off and fan reaction be damned. Yeah, have have the balls to to carry through. Um, Leia kind of looks like. Mary Poppins uh, as she floats through space like her oh. hand placement is weird like she's frozen and then something about the animation just like pulled me out of the scene I'm like that looks a little dodgy and it is worth mentioning unfortunately um, this came out in 2017 in late 2016 Carrie Fisher died so oh, yeah. they were stuck with whatever footage they had and, and in, somehow in fact, they squeezed it, another movie out of it Um, yeah with deleted scenes from Force Awakens and digital face replacement uh Mm, we'll get into that next week. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> so Ray, Ray, thank you, Mister Thrasher, for stay on target. Um, as, as the end of the last film, Ray was found Luke on Acto, which is a actually filmed on this island called Skellig, I think. This beautiful island that's full of these, oh, is it like puffins or something, full of these animals. And yeah, they're they're a native native puffin uh, species, I believe. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they could you know it's a rightfully so I think a a government protected place. You cannot remove the puffins. And part of the reasons they came up with the cute little porg creatures was to just draw them on top of the puffins, or just have something else. I I kind of like the porgs. Yeah, they, they provide totally an interesting okay counterpoint mm-hmm. to the grimness of this story. Yeah, I like porgs more than Ewoks. In fact, I think they <laughs> they don't they don't just... talk. Or they're they're not sentient, so you can't go like, oh, why are they do why are they eating these people, but not the droid? <laughs> yeah, but they they do feel they they do feel uh, remorse though because they are very well aware when Chewbacca tries to eat one of them. And he already he should has have eaten done one it of anyway. because he roast uh, he roasted two. Uh, yeah, he roasted two and. You can't unroast something unless that's a Jedi power we haven't <laughs> we haven't learned about. Unroast costs like cost five force points. Temporarily reduces your charisma. Um, yeah, so Ray gives the saber back to Luke, and Luke tosses it away. I mean, you talk about Ryan Johnson trying to trying to shake things up and be different, like right off the bat. You're like, that's something I think that pissed a lot of people off. And, and in interviews, Mark Hamill was quite public about like this character does not represent the Luke Skywalker I've acted in these other films like he was very mad and had to kind of talk to Ryan Johnson and eventually he came back around and we saw the final film and it's like oh he got a really great performance out of me and you know I don't own Luke and, and all these things but it, it was well, I, I think maybe perhaps Mark Hamill was expecting something more like like the books or race kind of, kind of like a noble maybe noble knight kind of character I don't know um See, I actually well, got think... a... Go on, Red, throw in Thrasher. Oh, okay. Um, so I think, like, Luke, for the most part, I think Luke's journey in this movie works really, really well for me, except for yeah. one glaring thing, which which I'll talk about later. But I think that scene in particular where he throws, where he throws the lightsaber uh, over his shoulder, I think that is meant to be a very unexpected, very dramatic, very deflating moment. However, the way it's cut makes it seem like it's a joke. It felt like a joke to me. See, so, I, so I think I think the movie kind of undercuts itself at that moment. 
I read. I actually started upon a rewatch. I've only seen it twice. I've only seen. I saw mm. it in the theaters, and I literally just watched it last night because I was like, okay, I want to refresh myself on it. It starts to me if you think about it. If you really think about the rest of the movie, that's his Yoda moment. That's his introduction mm. of Yoda moment, mm. where where Yoda's just kind of like goofball, like not what you expect from a Jedi Master. You're right. And a yeah. lot of that whole part is Luke probably having a better sense of what's going to go on anyway already, but he's being he's trying to see how dedicated Ray really is, just like Yoda was messing with Luke. And we do get more of mm. that. I mean, he, yeah. he 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 plays he plays <laughs> the the hermit rascal a number of times, and 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 quite quite in and, and a scene that I actually really really liked when he has Ray meditating and he's poking her with the blade of grass. Yeah, I, I like that too. That's... I, I find that yeah. that very very endearing, but like that that's that seems that that works. That scene works for me perfectly. I think the whole the whole to me the Luke and Ray and even some of the Kylo Ren stuff towards the end. That is the movie that I that that works, and mm-hmm. it feels like you have another movie that's not quite working on top of I it, agree. and really detracts from the whole the whole the whole part. Well, sure, and then and part of Luke, um, you know, the the reason why we should get into this, I think, because we're talking about this part of the story. You know, the reason why Luke exiled himself was he he did try to do a Jedi Academy of sorts, and, and Ben Solo, you know, i.e. Kylo Ren, was a student there. And they do this kind of thing like the Japanese film Rashomon, in which you see something from like different points of views, or it's the same story told different ways. And you're never told which is the right one, which I think is a pretty good um, technique. Well, as long as we're talking about that, though, that is the one thing that always rings false to me really? when when uh, when Luke when Luke recounts like what happened with Kylo Ren. The the one thing I can never buy is that Luke, even for a second, seriously considered murdering his nephew. Now, like I don't know if anyone listening to this has has relatives. How easy would how how easy would it come to you to maybe kill one of your relatives? That's the whole thing. Luke mm. would be more likely to go hunt down the people who he thought was tempting his right. his relatives to to go the dark to side. Yeah, and that's like apparently they know who Snoke is. Apparently they know this guy exists and did nothing about it. I mean, man, I really want to read this comic that's about this whole stuff with Kylo and Snoke, but it shouldn't be in a damn fucking comic book. Like, <laughs> have have a flashback of a younger Kylo, like meeting Snoke or, or some of that seduction, because you certainly get that between Palpatine and Anakin in the prequels. Uh, and, and you get some sort of motivation in this stuff. It's it's like he can sense the dark side of the force so much, and uh, he's just sort of freaked out by how powerful Kylo is. And and Luke's arc in this is really, um, as someone with depression and anxiety myself, it's about you know getting lost in that. And I, I find that quite moving. It's also not what people want from Luke. I think they want, <laughs> in general, you know, like a. Oh come on! I'm gonna I'm gonna make you a, a super Jedi, and together we're gonna fight the bad guys and win. Well, I, I, well, it's it's kind of like what did you expect Luke Skywalker to come jumping out of his his spaceship and fight off the First Order single handedly with a laser sword? Which, yeah. hearing a Star Wars character <laughs> use the phrase "laser sword" derisively, that's that's powerful, but also makes me feel very weird. 
it in, I, I, in the screenplay it did refer to lightsabers as um, laser swords even in the original script but that's neither here nor there well i think i think part of it so so i think i think this movie is trying to get at a at a this movie does have a point i think the problem <laughs> is the villain does a better job articulating this movie's counterpoint than the movie does expressing his own point that its own point and taking the movie as a whole I can't help but feel that the message it actually delivers, which is probably unintentional, but I don't know, is Star Wars is bad and you should feel bad. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Let's can we can we dive into that now? Sure. That that's yeah. such a it's a lot to unpack there. Uh okay, so what 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 brought you to that conclusion? And listeners, we hop around with the plot on the show if you haven't listened before so buckle in well it's 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 a few things one i think it's the way that the story here kind of drains away a lot of the like deliberately drains away a lot of the power romanticism and sense of adventure that that has existed in all these these stories before the fact that you know the the plot is concerned with a practical issue a lack of fuel um rather rather than notions of good or good and evil uh just just the fact that it's 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 openly dismissive of so many things that have been part of the Star Wars experience, uh, and it and like it's clearly, it's a it's a movie that that Star Wars has often been criticized as being a children's film. I don't consider it a children's film. I consider it more like all ages, but it definitely yeah. comes from like a place of childlike wonder. This is a this is a movie that is very angrily telling you to grow up. But it's telling you to grow up in a very selfish way. So what you're referring to is there's a kind of creed that not... And if you want to hear us talk about the movie Creed, the Rocky spinoff, you can go to <laughs> sequelcast2.com. Um, it, Kylo Ren has a creed that is, you know, kill the, let the past die. And... Kill but it, if you that, have to. Yeah, kill, kill it if you have to. And... Um, but that is a message coming from the bad guy. Is that the theme of the film? Like, what's the good guy version of that? Because you also have the Jedi uh, books and and stuff on, or whatever, the Jedi Bible, whatever the fuck it is, on, on well, Acto. Well, the, I mean, the the point is what what Rose what, what Rose says. It's not it's not about it's not about fighting what you hate. It's about preserving what you love. Uh, hmm. But. But unfortunately, I feel like... I think that's the point of this movie. I think that's the point the movie wants to have. But unfortunately, Kylo Ren does a... This movie does a better job... Developing... Kylo Ren's notion yeah. than Rose's notion. And I, I think that's where a lot of the problems come from. BJ? Uh, I have to agree. It's definitely... Sorry, I've tried, it's like how do you how do you well you know Thresher there put it very very eloquently just that everything in this movie does say hey remember that old stuff well guess what that doesn't matter anymore all of those all the old Star Wars films they all pull from old ways of telling stories and old mythology stories, structure right? yeah, mythology yeah. structure you know ways that we did old old serial films old political mm, films like all those things right and this is very much a modern film it's modern sensibilities about what makes wow, yeah film. wow well put and so that's why it's so incongruent with especially between the other two now it's it's now definitely weird 
it doesn't quite fit because it is such a modern take on it. Which, as a Star Wars story, as one of those side stories, would have been accepted way better at mm. that. And like if you'd yeah, have done a, a Star Wars story about had... um, the rebels the... in the early days, Sorry? if you'd have done Star Wars story about the rebels in the early days running out of fuel, running from the Empire, that would have people would have been all over that. Hmm. Um. But but yeah, do you think you know had let's say they like Colin Trevorrow's script or whatever reason he was let go from the project or he, he decided to, to quit. I don't really know the story on that. Um, let, let's say that it happened as designed. And you the, the, the pitch for the sequel trilogy is you have direct, writer-directors do their own vision for each one instead of having one kind of outline that you work stuff from where you can interconnect themes better and, and kind of plan more stuff ahead. I think that in, that's as a fan of film that's much more interesting to me and yet it absolutely is a less cohesive whole and because they didn't do that for uh, episode 9 uh, Rise of the Skywalker is it just Rise of Skywalker yeah it's Rise of Skywalker the Rise of Skywalker yeah, I'm going to mess that up every time um, because they didn't do it with that it you're right this does especially stick out but um, I really think you ha- you're onto something there which mm-hmm. for any other kind of film series would make sense. But in this point, it feels more like an anthology than Wars. a trilogy. Like there is something about that connected yes, story. Yes, you're right. Yeah. But uh, you, you, what, you, what we got was an anthology and not a, and not a trilogy. Yeah, that's, in the, that's, that's really profound. Yeah, that, it, it does feel like three separate halves instead of a It's almost a like Greek myth where you have the same characters... But mm. from storyteller to storyteller, it can be completely different. Yeah. And even even though the stories are different, but the characters are 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 vastly different each time as well. Yeah, it, it makes for a very discombobulating experience. I I wonder when, um, you know, episode nine comes out on on streaming and and four K and all that. Watching this trilogy, all in one day, marathoning it, I think will be a very discombobulating experience. For, from what you've just described, I'm wondering and, and how we're going to do the the what is it the hacksaw thing or whatever. I wonder how the machete. The machete I, how do we machete cut these? Like that's going to be the interesting thing. Is can can you, you explain what that means? I'm not quite sure. Uh, I'll let Thrasher do it. He'll be able to better explain it. Okay. So machete 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 order. It was it was a notion uh, that came out when when older people were thinking of how to show what was at the time the complete Star Wars experience to their kids, the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, and the notion the notion was that rather than watching them in release order or in episode order, mm. there was sort of a narrative flow that was created when you did A New Hope you would do A New Hope, you would do The Empire Strikes Back, but then you would do Attack of the Clones and The Revenge of the Sith. So after you find out that Vader is Luke's father, you get to see Vader's origin story, and then you wrap it all up with Return of the Jedi, but then you ignore Phantom Menace. One, because it was the people who came up with this order felt it was the weakest of the trilogy, but also felt that it really had no bearing on the rest of the movies as a whole, so you could just cut it as dead weight. I mean, I think having a viewing order where you leave out one movie in the series is, is a dick move. Uh, Although it does save you some time. Of course it saved you some time. I mean, and, you are and... more than welcome to it. When we... Sh- so when my, my wife, my, my current... Thing, she, when, when she was my fiancé, we were finally showing her 80-something-year-old grandmother Star Wars. Oh, she'd and never seen it. She'd never seen it. 
But we, wow. we showed it under the machete mm. order, but we did include we, we did include the Phantom Menace. Okay. Because it feels weird to not because there are some bits in there that are good that, that get overlooked. I think a lot of yeah. these the prequels really get a bad rap for for the wrong reasons. And and how did her grandmother what did she think of it? She enjoyed it. She enjoyed it. And hmm. then I think I think that was right before the new one before um Force Awakens came out. And I think we went and t- took see. her to see that, I think. Uh, I believe. In fact, it's it's been a couple of years now. Trying to remember, you know, uh, she's since passed, so I, I couldn't get her opinions on, on all of the the new stuff. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I have a grandmother story about Star Wars too. I'll I'll, I'll add in really quick. Uh, I don't think she had seen Star Wars, or if she did, she didn't have any strong feelings. She was a very, uh, my the grandmother, my mom's side, uh, was was very uh, conservative um, woman who raised four kids uh, pretty much by herself for the most part um, and she but um, Revenge of the Sith she saw without watching any of the other prequel movies and she really liked that one I, I think and she found a lot of um, Christian allegory with you know viewing Palpatine as, as like a devil sort of character uh, and I was quite surprised because she normally didn't really like um, action pictures or stuff with special effects so you never I, I think that's part of what Star Wars does the best is you know there's a lot of different things you can latch on to and part of that is the older films using the mythic structure and the newer ones uh, don't do that as much and seem more higgledy-piggledy um, and, and I don't hate these sequel trilogy films I just don't like them as much for reasons we are discussing in these shows uh, <laughs> so the plot that does not work nearly as well is you have Poe and Rose and Finn try to get the the tracking device so the first order put a tracking device on the, the main kind no, of no oh, they just well, they figured that, out how to like follow the signal more so than a tracking device they found they found a way to track things through hyperspace um which which is one of those one yeah, of those technical yeah. details but but Finn who apparently used to be stationed on Snoke's flagship has some idea how the tracking system works because he so mopped the floors Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he mopped the floors in there, he knows how it works. Which is the second time that him being in part of the sanitation and logistics division actually like pays off, which I kind of like. But um, yeah, they, he 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 knows that if they if they can sabotage this one thing at the right time, then the fleet can jump away and they won't they won't be tracked. And so Finn and Rose, after Rose catches him trying to abandon ship, they hijack a shuttle. And they they need an they need an expert code breaker to do all to do all the to do all the slicing as we used to call it in the West End days. Yes. Uh, and so they reach out they reach out to Maz Kanata and I got to talk about one thing with Maz Kanata. So Maz Kanata is apparently having a whiz bang Star Wars adventure because on the hologram we see her flying around in a jetpack shooting people <laughs> in a war zone. Only she says it's over a, a union, union dispute. That's the best part of it. <laughs> I, I want to see that. I want to see yes. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that immediately. I mean, I know that's meant to be a dig on all the politics and the prequels, but that makes me hate Maz Kanata because if she's involved in a union dispute as a business owner, that means she's shooting at union organizers. Fuck her. Instead of Unless Maz she's Kanata, the leader of the union. Union. Unless but she is also the leader she... of her own union. I mean, I maybe, but who? But then, who is she organizing against? Because I thought she owned that bar that got blown up in the yeah. But I mean, movie. come on, it's like Jimmy Hoffa owned some businesses. You know, he did, you know he had. some. Well, okay, yeah, okay. you know, it's I, like I, that. I take, you know, 
I, t- I take your meaning. All we know is that uh, clearly Maz is up. If some she's really older shady than stuff. Yoda, then she definitely has her hands in many things. Guy, oh yeah, guys, so, guys, guys! I think I got it. Maz Kanata is is uh, meant to be a proxy for Walt Disney, who was infamous for union busting techniques to oh, not pay man. his animators as much. Oh dear. But anyway, she she knows she knows like an expert codebreaker they'll find on this casino planet. Doesn't bother saying his name, just says he's gonna be wearing this fancy looking lapel pin. So they go to the casino planet. And this is this is the first time we've seen a planet whose ecosystem is casino. Uh <laughs> And they, bite. why was it? Why did they have to make a new planet? They could have literally gone to Narshada to sell the planet toys. I, Wait, they don't make toys in, of the planets. In in all honesty, it's be, it's it's because I think the only people that know about Narshada are Star Wars nerds like us. And I wouldn't expect I wouldn't expect Ryan Johnson to be as big of a nerd as we are and go, oh yeah, Narshada. Was that a hut planet? But that, that but yeah, that's the it's the hut over it's the moon over the hut home world where like it's mm. it's basically. It's the seedy underbelly of Coruscant, essentially, but it's the entire planet of that. Uh, yeah, I thought that. Okay, and that's in the books or something. That sounds vaguely familiar. It's and books, the video, video games, games comics. It. Like it's it's one of those cool. things where yeah. if they had done any research into, you know, what has been continuity, written, that's that's where Dave Filoni, who did you know the whole the the the, the Clone, Clone Wars, Wars. And Rebels, was mm-hmm. much much better at directing this stuff because. They used bits and pieces of that of that extended universe. So, and and this is where and this is where just having Finn always act like a buffoon, kind of like it it keeps keep, keeps causing trouble in like a frustrating way because uh, as he and Rose are working through the casino planet trying to get to the the code breaker, they eventually get arrested. Why are they arrested? Because they have an unpaid parking ticket. Why do they have an unpaid parking ticket? Because they landed their shuttle on a beach instead of a landing pad. <sighs> um, and I realize there is like an offhanded line. Of, I think there is an offhanded line about like docking fees. But it just it feels it feels it, it feels very it feels very forced. I mean, as, as somebody yes. who's who's driven in New York, you can have a strategy to get around parking illegally. It's not that hard. Not just that. I mean. You could also or just claim... not on a beach. Oh. Who lands on a beach? Well, also just drop off one of them. The other one can take the shuttle into orbit, right? And no, no rule says they both have to be there. And and the the city or plant, whatever the fuck it is, Canto, excuse me, Canto Bite, Canto Bite is meant to be sort of a satire of of the rich. And you had, you know, not that long ago, well. A bit ago, I suppose. You know, we had the eat the rich thing and the one percent, and it, it it brings some of that. I think it's supposed to be satire, but the tone here is so comedic. I'm not quite sure it it works. But I do Are like he making these... fun of people making fun of the rich. Maybe it sort of comes off like that way to me. I. But then, isn't Ryan Johnson rich from directing a Star Wars movie now? Mm. Well, he wasn't Star Wars rich beforehand because <laughs> he didn't true. get his yeah. his cut of the back end. Yeah, that's that absolutely fair. Um, and but I do like when you go into the casino and see all the wacky aliens and shit. Like that to me worked much better than the aliens in the bar at Maz Kanata's joint in Episode Seven. It was slow enough to see what was going on. Exactly, the Maz Kanata was in. so quick you didn't see what was happening. 
yeah the way it was cut and shot and this like you could breathe in the weird details i think i believe warwick davis is is in a suit for one of these aliens mark hamill did motion capture and voice for another one which is fun my um, question is, why the hell was Lando Calrissian not in this fucking bar? I agree, I'm sorry, I dropped the F-bomb there, but Lando, that, that really he, pisses me off. This is a well, perfect no, place yeah. to have had Lando. So, I agree. Something, yeah. something about the whole casino thing that I hated the first when I first saw it in the theaters, but loved it when I revisited this on home video, the music that plays during all the establishing shots of all the, the aliens mm, and, yeah. and whatnot in the casino, it's a, uh, it's just the it's just a bad arrangement of the original cantina music from episode four which at first time i hated the second time i loved it because i realized oh yeah you know what this means Music. this means fergan deanne and the modal nodes got off tatooine became a huge band famous the galaxy and over covers. and this is the vegas <laughs> cover band doing their music at the casino you're oh my that's genius that's that's great i love that yes so, so and that that means that Fergadian probably had a bad breakup. Then they probably did a reunion tour. Like it just makes me think of a whole Fergadian musical biopic. Again, a great movie to follow. Like no, it, not just a this movie. This is that, Tap for for the modal nodes. That but no, Disney, I'm available. No, that that should be a Disney Plus TV series, and it's it's done <laughs> like a behind the music mockumentary with like a very serious narrator. But then the modal nodes. <laughs> Oh, the God, then there's a, there's a knockdown kind of a... drag-out fight between the modal nodes and the Max Rebo band, like, outside of Jabba's palace. Like, some dude gets... It's like the Beatles versus the Stones. Here's, here's a, a bit of gross trivia. What's the name of the kind of music that they play? Jizz. Yes, jizz it whaling. is Jizz. Yes, Jizz, jizz Whaling. whaling. <laughs> from, yeah, jizz from, from the, what I thought, really fun uh, short story collection, Tales from the Cantina, <laughs> from the Star Wars Legends line. Uh, since then... They had a really interesting book uh, that it was meant to, you know, raise money for charity, which I think is a cool cause, um, where a bunch of people did short stories and it redid uh, A New Hope from, and each chapter was kind of a short story from a point of view of a different character. And uh, in that, I think they might have canonically changed the name of Jizz, but it will always be Jizz in our hearts. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, um, but... So you you see, DJ is played by Benicio del Toro, who I love him as an actor, but here it feels like he's doing the usual suspect shtick all over again. He's all twitchy, and uh, which is which is actually not bad. That being said, his 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 stutter mm. comes off as such an affectation. Yeah. Like it, 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 it really bothers me, and 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 it's not right for me to be offended on other people's behalf. But like I, I feel like is that if you if you have a st- I want I guess I want to know if you if you have a stutter, does his performance come off as truthful or insulting? Well, I, I have a bit of a stutter sometimes, and I, I did speech therapy for several years as, as a child. Oh, and um, I, I I think it's it's over the top. You know, I I don't really get offended by a lot of things. You have to try really hard to to piss me off. I'm pretty even keeled, I think, and. Uh, the the one I think that annoyed me more, if we're talking about performances where people stutter, is Michael Palin in A Fish Called Wanda, where it like like that's extremely over the top, and and here DJ doesn't quite do that, but um, 
Well, that's one thing, though, about a fish called Wanda is that Michael Palin based that off of his father, who had a very pronounced stutter. I, I did not know that. Hmm. Oh, I'll have to revisit it, but I, I recall the first time watching it, I, I was a bit put off by that. Um, a movie with a really good look at, at stutter and, and speech therapy is The King's Speech. I think that's it with the... What's his name? Oh, I think that's, yeah. a great, that's a great look at speech uh, therapy and overcoming adversity and and all these things but um this is not the stutter cast it's a sequel cast so sequel cast you and friends excuse me and um you have this business with dj you you have like this alien horse ride nonsense that i don't think looks that great and just brings to mind young anakin and young padme like rolling around with those fat blobby things on uh naboo how cool would that have been if they had been pod racers Oh, dude! Awesome! Freaking yeah, like pod they, racers going through the city like that—that that would have been amazing. Not just that, but they steal like the the sick rides that the rich people have, right? Like oh, they steal yeah. like the like the equivalent of a Star Wars Lamborghini or a Jaguar. I, I'm okay. I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought them. Brought up them releasing the riding beast because that's played as a, as a very triumphant moment. And you know they're 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 sticking it to the rich people. They're freeing these abused animals. However. That movie is undercut by something that's going to cause me to go off on a rant I've been holding in for three trilogies now. Um, Let it loose. Is that is that 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 would be a triumphant moment and would be celebratory, except the casino has child slaves. <laughs> yeah, and that's in... this is something. <sighs> this this is something that I start. I first noticed in the prequel trilogy. But this is what set me over the edge, and this is something that really, really bothers me, and it covers all of Star Wars. Namely, that we see less slavery when the Empire is in charge than in any other period in Star Wars history, and it really makes me wonder what the fuck anyone is fighting for. So what you're saying is is George Lucas supports child slavery. I, I don't know. I don't think. I don't think he does. It's just that 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 keeps that keeps I think coming the, up under and, the fascist Anakin empire. And his mom were, under the fascist empire, we know from all the other materials that they definitely had slaves. It just we just don't see them. But I think. But I think that's the problem. I think that needs to be present. That needs to be present, like in in the films. And it would be one thing if this was a first order planet, because we know the first order has been abducting children and, and conscripting them into the army. Mm. But this is Canto Bight is presumably an independent world that is not on either side. Once again, they they've got slaves, and like like if you're gonna free anybody, free the kids that suffer under the not lash. the animals. Yeah, no, good point. Instead, you leave and, them a secret decoder ring. Which will probably get them beaten to death when it's discovered. And yeah. a free glass of Ovaltine. And like and that that just infuriates me. And it's not isolated to this movie. It it it, it infuriates me across all of these movies. Mm. Um and, and, and it just it just really, really bothers me. Especially especially after the fact that we know that the first order especially after we know that the first order had enslaved Rose and her sister, but they managed to escape. Did it not occur to her that there are these kids in the exact same position that she could have helped, but she doesn't? It's it's her character getting done dirty. That the whole this whole bit was just not good for those two. No, like, if they if it feels like they could have contributed better somewhere else in this story. It this really does feel like a part of the plot 
you could snip out and no one would miss it. Especially when we find out about the past of Poe Dameron later on, mm-hmm. how he probably should have had contacts that know this stuff. And it would have been more interesting to see him do that. More more of a spy mission, more of a Yeah, like because yeah, yeah, yeah. he's apparently got underworld connections. It would have been great to see that with Poe versus this where they seem like they should these are two very technical minded people. They should be on the ship trying to solve the problem with what they have. Hmm. Which yeah. is which and, and that's the thing. Like if you if you can if you can get away on a sh- on a shuttle that's equipped with hyperdrive why not do that? You've got more hyperdrive-capable ships than the First Order has scant cruisers scanning for your position. You could have scattered, and they wouldn't have gotten all of you. So eventually they get captured by Captain Phasma, too. I, I've used the stun dirty thing a lot, but <laughs> Captain Phasma, what a cool design. She was, you know, pretty small role. I think she's meant to be the new Boba Fett, sort of. Um, she is the new yeah, Boba Fett. Yeah, they Boba Fett her twice. And, and they also... The way they kill her off in this made me so bad. Like, it's so half-assed and quick. And if if you look on the... This is also on, on the Disney Plus if you go to the special features, but it's also on the, on the Blu-ray. Um, there's a deleted scene where the the showdown that Finn and Phasma have has a lot more dialogue, and it's a lot better than what we saw in the movie where it's, like, so quick. You're like, wait, what? So... One, I am shocked that she actually got killed off in this movie. Yeah. I was sure she was going to come back for the third. But two, I'm sure it's going to turn out she didn't die and she's going to show up after all this in uh, ancillary material. Just like they did with Boba Fett in the five gazillion comics, yeah. you know. And uh, I mean, they even, what well, in one of the, in, under the Star Wars Legends lines towards the end, I think they had Boba Fett train one of Han Solo's kids. I think that did happen. Mm. There's there's a point where I stopped reading the Star Wars Legends books. They got a little too crazy. Once you had forced yes. immune creatures from another galaxy, like. Eh. <laughs> right. So we do finally get some interesting parallel action because you know Ray Ray gets her training from Luke. There's yeah. this running thing where Ray and Kylo Ren keep like astrally projecting into each other's perceptions. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's neat, and it yeah, it creates it creates some interesting tension between them, and we get some we get some some interesting we get some interesting dialogue, uh, but but eventually, um, you know, Ray uh, Ray has her her vision has her vision in the cave, which which is another which is another one of those things, you know, that the movie the movie damns itself by building up a mystery around Ray's backstory where there doesn't need to be one by giving her this whole little mini vision quest, but anyway. She, you know, she she leaves she leaves Luke. Uh, she uh, we fi- we find out later she takes the Jedi the sacred Jedi texts. Uh, she lets herself get captured by Kylo Ren, and we we get that we get that 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 uh, throne room scene where it's Ky- where it's Kylo Ren, Rey, and and Snoke. And on the one hand, like I, I personally do like the fight scene that erupts from this. Oh yeah, yeah. But that being said, it is all stuff we've seen before. A Sith apprentice betrays his master. Yes, uh, but the but this the, but this is when Snoke is just dropped from the uh, dropped from the trilogy. But the choreography in that fight scene following that, where I mean, they're they're just or is it before or after? I, I don't quite remember. Um, oh, the, the fight scene happens after uh, uh, after Kylo Ren cuts Snoke in yeah, half. Yeah, right. With his where they're fighting all the troops and it's in slow motion with white. Why was and... that not the light? The Knights of Ren. 
God damn it, that's a good point. Uh, why the <laughs> like yeah, that, that is, is the fight point. scene the Knights of Ren should have had, <laughs> as opposed to random like peons. Yeah, you're right. Um, all that being said, though, I mean, like, what a cool scene, and it, it even became a meme where people would would dub you could dub over any song and it would work. <laughs> hey now, you're an all star. <laughs> well, I mean, do they do ballroom blitz? Because that would have been, you know, the oh, probably. Ideal, like, I uh... mean, and, and people did. I mean, it's sort of like the the old YouTube joke of you can put Guile's theme from Street Fighter over any clip and it works. And people were doing that <laughs> over like Mufasa dying in the Lion King. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyhow, yeah, the, the Snoke stuff we we discussed that before, but it, it's. You know, they build a mystery around Snoke and they don't answer it. They do have sort of answer something about Ray's past in this film, which I really loved that twist. It gets undone in episode nine, but it is the twist of um, her parents were nobody. Or Kylo Ren tells her her parents were nobodies. And I love that because I thought, well, the laziest thing they could do is make Ray Luke Skywalker's, you know, forbidden child or Kylo Ren's brother from another mother or from another yeah from nope another they went mother. even crazier yes we'll get into that next well, week but that i like that it was nobody i think like wow well, that you're a normal person well, and can aspire to be like a, a force master and all that stuff is a great message I, the the idea the idea that that you know she has such humble origins i think i think is a good idea and this is one instance this is one instance where i'm really upset at both sides of the discourse around this movie mm. Because they both keep using Kylo Ren's language to refer to her parents as nobodies. No, no one is a nobody. Everybody is somebody. Even if you fucked up your life, even if you've lived a life of no consequence, you existed, and for the brief period of your existence, you mattered. I hate anyone being dismissed uh, as as a nobody. But th- that being said, yeah, it was the right move to... to established that Ray's parents were just two kind of anonymous, hard-on-their-luck people. Although, that being said, people who once again sold a kid into slavery. See, I don't I don't read that as supposedly slavery. As, as She seems more independent. It's just, she was put there and paid to, you know, have Simon Pegg watch her uh, for a while. And then, and then she's off on her own. Because you never see, like, the slave collar or the weird interaction. She's just kind of indebted to this guy because that's where she can get food. Um... What I see as a bigger problem is more of people forget, as far as we knew, Luke, at the beginning, he was just a dude who grew up on the farm. We didn't know his father's full extent. Even when we yeah, find out right. thought his father was but, a freighter pilot. Yeah, like, that's the thing. I was like, he's just a regular guy, and he gets revealed later that he is something special. Um, which I think is totally valid uh, to think about it that way. Like, hey, this is our Luke moment. You know, this is like reaffirming that. Oh, she's just a, a girl from the thing, so she's got no no fancy past. Well, maybe we'll find out something later. I don't know. I was really I was really uh, pulling for the uh, you know grandchild of the secret love child of Duchess Satine and Obi Wan Kenobi. Oh, that's <laughs> what I was going to deep pull from like just like into a Clone Wars. Yeah, like really like you know they they had a they had a night together and that's you know and then after mm. that she kind of pushes him off to keep him remain a jedi but she never tells him about their their child that happened yeah, mm. but uh after snoke's death everything everything uh comes to a head we find out that admiral holdo's oh yeah i can't believe i forgot about this poe poe leads a mutiny against admiral holdo which which falls apart 
Uh, and, th- and only after the mutiny falls apart do we find out Holdo's secret plan. There's a secret resistance base on an old mining outpost and that they're going to swing just close enough that they're going to drop everyone off there and then it's going kind to of lead, lead the fleet away. Which I'm not sure how that's going to work because we already know that they can detect shuttles launching from a ship. They're going to notice that you're dropping people off on that planet. Um, that that reveal is kind of lame, really. It just feels like a reveal just for another reveal. It's like, we're going to have five million plot twists because that makes it cool. Like, <laughs> have a few of them and they'll have more impact. It, mm. but What's I even crazier it, there is that she specifically talks to him earlier saying how he's a hothead, such whatever, and she doesn't need him messing up her plan. And then does the thing that is going to cause the hothead to mess up her plan. <laughs> of well, not, know, he's literally asking, what are you up to? You know, because he wants to try to contribute or something. And you're like, no, you don't need to know anything. That's just going to make him go off and do something stupid. Well, she she may be a brilliant strategist, but she's not a good leader. Hmm. Uh, and, and I and I think and I think that's something I think that's something that that often people like have a hard time wrapping their 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 heads around is somebody being really good at one thing and not good at another uh, in a very damning way with within a narrative. Um, one thing so this this was an interesting observation. This was this was last year. There was a uh, there was a I think it was a, a JAG officer uh, who was who was like who was asked. Uh, if the, if the events of this of this movie had happened on like a United States aircraft carrier, mm. what would have happened if like a pilot had led a mutiny against a vice admiral uh, and all this stuff had happened? Uh, and his response was, "Well, Poe Dameron would have been tried for mutiny and very likely dishonorably discharged, and the vice admiral would very likely." have been tried for gross incompetence for allowing the mutiny to happen under their watch and would likely be dishonorably discharged. I, I thought you were going to say that Poe would have been fragged. Uh, that's you, you do that to squad leaders who want to lead you into a suicide mission. Um, but, okay, speaking of suicide missions, so, you know, the the the, uh, the, the resistance gets dropped off and there's... And this is also one of those things where I don't know what the movie's trying to witness over on Haldo at the last minute, where as Poe's unconscious body is being hauled away, she's like, I like that guy. Really? <laughs> Didn't seem like But anyway, hmm. but anyway, yeah, so, so she stays behind on the flagship, and this is when Star Wars learns the Kazinti lesson, because she points her flagship at... She points the Resistance flagship at Snoke's flagship, guns the hyperdrive running speed and this moment was shocking and and kind of like a, a revelation and i use i use the kazinti lesson i that's a term from the 70s i'm not sure anyone is using anymore which comes from the larry niven story the warriors mm. and it's based upon the very true observation that every starship is a weapon it just matters where you point it and that's what this scene does. A for the first time we see a starship used as used as an offensive weapon to devastating effect. And this is one of those moments you can't go back on. I was expecting this moment to reverberate through every Star Wars thing to come after this. Turns out I was completely wrong. But I mean, this yeah. was a very this was a very powerful moment. Well, you say ramming speed, but she she transports she does a hyper jump into where the other ship is. 
Oh yeah, yeah. And that the special effects are, are gorgeous. Like it, it has this kind of weird. The, si- the silence of space. The silence is very powerful. Oh, the, and then that was a and great then the, the rather subtle sound that comes after. Mm-hmm. That's and, and the explosion really... too. I mean, it's just like in the theater you could hear a pin drop. You were like, "What? She did that?" Like it was really... that was in the Dolby theater where everything was like shaking and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like everyone was, like... was you know, it, yeah. You didn't hear anything from anybody. Yeah, one, one think, of the better um, moments in the film. One of the reasons I don't think it ever ever comes up previously or before is in established in star in in Star Wars lore is the idea of the great hyperspace wars, where apparently they must have done shit like this that got it like outlawed, where like nobody does it because they know that once you open that can of worms, uh, <laughs> everyone could do it. Yeah. yeah, and they, that's, yeah. and then they do bring it up again in also in the. Um, because it is kind of a risky move. Like you, it takes a while to get your ship ready, and you put it in major danger to be able to do that. And they they bring that up in the in the next movie. You're like, hey, why don't we do this again? Like, because it literally is a one in a million chance if you can get your ship, you know, set up in time to be able to make that kind of strike. And why the hell was that not Admiral Akbar doing it? Well, yeah. that is my thing. Like you set up Haldo. Haldo could have been a cool reoccurring character who could have like learned from this and like this mistake mm. and grown as a character at all and like become good friends with Poe and 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 all that and just kind of as a you know as a mentor but also they they teach each other things. And we could have had a really well, good send-off for Admiral Akbar. Especially well, with his actor, be... final, you know, his uh, his voice actor had recently died. Like it would have been a great well, send-off. You know, it, it, you do a good point because because her Haldo going out in a blaze of glory like this does kind of absolve her for her leadership failures throughout throughout the entire movie. She won't live to see her plan fail. Um, you know, people are going to remember this before they remember the cul-de-sac that she steered the fleet into. Uh, in 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 a way, it is. It is almost selfish, which counterpoints another moment of sacrifice that gets undercut later in the film. And, and I thought, too, like after this moment, and then oh, oh, they get to the uh, the planet with the rebel base. I thought the movie was going to end there. I felt like that would have been a good place to end it. But instead, you got more movie, and it makes it feel kind of overlong. I, I like I like what happens on the uh, crate on, yeah, on the planet. Two separate movies overlapped with each other. <laughs> I, I like all the crate business, but it, it just coming where it does after the emotional moment of, of the, the sacrifice with the starship. And that's that that felt more like a climax to me than what happens on on crate. And apparently it, it, that was not that devastating of a strike if they still had that kind of firepower to bring to crate. Well, I mean, they, yeah, which makes yeah. feel the flagship like that firepower could have been on the support ships. Yeah, but I mean, it looked like a lot of ships got taken in, out in that. But like, what yeah. kind of firepower does the First Order really have? We really don't know the extent of what their their thing is. It's not like, oh, you're the Empire. Like, all right, I get, it. I know what an Empire is. I understand the military concept of an Empire. What the hell is the First Order? We still don't know what that is. As we get to the end of the film, uh, we skipped over one big thing. Uh, BJ and Thrasher, what do we think about? the um, Yoda scene in the film. I thought that was really manipulative. From Yoda's point of view? Well, well oh, no, oh, from, no, the from, from, from the filmmaker's okay. point of view, it's just like, it, like 
I I love seeing Yoda back on screen. I love seeing him as a puppet. Mm-hmm. I love Frank. Really? Oz I was really being there. weirded I... out by it. Like it felt weird. As I, I actually what? really liked when they finally did the CGI Yoda that looked like the puppet mm. in the yeah, in Revenge of the Sith. I really liked yeah. that, and I loved it. it. Was still voiced for Frank Oz and stuff. I felt this one looked weird. It something looked off. It it did. See, I didn't. I, I thought it looked. I didn't have that off response. Mm. Oh, sorry. no, go ahead. I just said it. I agree. I think it doesn't well, look great. Well, I like, but when I say, when I say like, like being manipulative, I really did feel because, like, it's that's a character that, that I do that I do love. I have a lot of good feelings for, but it felt like, like, looking back on that scene, it really feels like it's, it's just taking advantage of my nostalgia. There's no reason why Luke couldn't have had this revelation on his own, but it also brings up the point. Oh, Yoda, now you show up? Not when I was thinking of murdering my nephew? Not when I was thinking <laughs> of throwing myself into exile? Not, like, you've had 30 years to talk to me. Now you do it. Have you looked at the like, list it, it, of cameos in this in this film? It's insane. Oh, it's huge. They couldn't spring for Ewan McGregor to pop up as, as, as Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi for a moment there, too. And had, like, a little back and forth between Obi-Wan and Yoda. Oh, man. Like, that would have that would have That would have been really cool, it. yeah. And just, like, maybe they're both taking different sides and arguing the point. And they, by doing that, they helped Luke come to the correct determination. I, I think the other reason this scene sticks out to me is this was the one time watching this movie I was angry. Uh... And it's it's in this exchange when when Yoda says you know like like uh, mistakes the best teachers are or, or 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 something along those lines, and and that and that infuriated me. And it's not so much because of the movie. Um, you know, I, I realize that is I mean, there's a lot of failure porn on the internet. That that is that is a, a message that comes up a lot today mm-hmm. about how you learn so much from mistakes. But here's the here's the thing about that though. Um, I didn't come from a very nurturing environment. Um, you can't learn from a mistake when you have to brace yourself for all the shame that's going to be heaped on you from making that mistake. Mm. Learning from a mistake is something I've only been able to do in like really the past decade of my life. Uh, and, and just like he- hearing, hearing it articulated from this character that I like so much, just, it, it just, gr- it grinds my bones. Uh, and, and I realize that is not the movie's fault. But yeah. that is a big part of my experience that I brought to this viewing, and just hearing mm. hearing him say that in, infuriates me. To learn from a mistake, you have to have time to reflect on it. I I have never had that time. Right. I I disagree. I mean, I I come from a, a similar place in that it's taken me a lot of therapy and stuff to not be not be so hard on myself um, after failing because you're supposed to be held to such a high you know like a perfectionism and everything. Uh, and I've gone through all the therapy for that and it, it's helped me, you know, reckon with it. But I I like that Yoda is, it's it's like Luke is, it's like how Luke got his groove back, right? Yoda is giving a pep talk to Luke and I, that he summons the lightning to burn the library when Luke is, is going to, you know, trying to sneak there with his poncho or whatever and, and burn it down himself. I think was a really, f- and then he does his little like Yoda laugh. It is a really funny, good moment. It's, I, I like that this scene was in here. It, it would have been a lesser scene uh, otherwise. Um, on the, the Blu-ray, there's an excellent documentary 
that's feature length, and they spend a long time going on in this scene about how Ryan Johnson wanted to film this on location and Disney wouldn't give him the money to do it, so they had to do it on a blue screen. And that even with Disney and you have more money than God, um, you still, like, they would not pony up the money that it would cost to do this stuff uh, on location. So now that we know that Force Ghosts can affect the physical universe, also, the, why do that bad the Force things can happen? control the freaking weather? Yep. Like, we've been learning a lot more about what the Force can do in these movies, which is interesting because as an old school role player, you knew like the way that they the way that West End determined how the Force must work based on the, what they saw in the other movies is completely mm-hmm. accurate and completely true. Like yeah, the and way also, that they carry yeah. the idea of control, Healing. sensing, and altering things. Mm-hmm. Like either controlling yourself or, or, or other things, sensing what's going on, and then like physically altering stuff. Like that, those little bits, like you see that in all of the new force powers that we see. Yeah. Well, I guess it's it's that like the, the force could do any any goddamn thing in these movies for a dramatic moment. Uh how you would ever practically use it never seem never seems to come up and and this this is where the this is where the new movies in particular start to sort of sidle up to to bad fantasy like if you're going in in bad fantasy magic does just any old thing when fantasy works the magic is kind of focused and limited and has reproducible results and like you never have to you never have to wonder well why don't they just do this well because you you know why the magic doesn't work that way well and Maybe. you and it you introduce could be the, oh. sorry go on through go on uh. yeah um you introduce something in this film that they do follow up on in, in the episode nine in that when you do use the force it takes a physical toll on you which i think is a very interesting concept that they don't really play with enough and that it's some kind of a cost but it's only when the plot is convenient that it becomes a detriment otherwise you know you wave your magic dick around and solve all the problems Yes. Yeah, at the end with uh, Luke. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess we got, we got to talk about the end. So the resistance is all you know is in their base, and the first order has deployed a, a, a huge number of troops to assault and the vehicles. base, including yeah. they have this big cannon. Which I love that the cannon is referred to as miniaturized Death Star tech. When, as far as I knew, Death Star tech was just upscaled regular tech. <laughs> hmm. Oh, true. Maybe they found maybe they found the wreckage of one of the Death Stars and pulled it out. Oh, okay. But um, so it, so a bunch of the First Order, uh, or a bunch of the the Resistance, they get on these like uh, mining scout craft, and they're going to use that to try to defend off this this battalion. So the these scout craft. <laughs> They are the most back-ass-word designed vehicle <laughs> in any movie. It's like, hey, 
like how how was this designed? Okay, folks. Now I know we've perfected hover technology. We can have a car that hovers perpetually when it's parked. So hear me out. We have a we, we're going to build a vehicle that can barely hover while it's even moving. Well, what stops it from just scraping across the ground? Why don't we just let it hover? We don't bother with that. We give it we give it a ski. Oh, so it's going to go over snow? No, it's going to go over acids. It's going to go after acid salts. It's going to go after the most corrosive thing in the galaxy that this whole planet is made of. Oh, well, it's going to be make it be pretty maneuverable and easy to steer, right? No, steers like a cow. <laughs> yeah, it's just the most goofy. It's just the most goofy thing. Do you like the visuals uh, on the planet where... You know, it, it looks like snow, but it's salt, and then it has that red underneath that kicks up, almost looking like the planet is bleeding. And then you got those. I like that. And, and I, I really like the ice foxes. I wish they would have done something with those. Like maybe. No, no, they do. Well, sort of, yeah, but. They're a plot. They, they, they factor into the plot. They're not just set dressing. But I wish they would have weaponized the ice foxes. Okay. I wish they would have, uh, I don't know, mounted them on rockets and had them leap on ships and break through the glass and. Yeah. No, I'm being but, but quite this, silly. Go on. <laughs> but this is another thing, because because during this pursuit, Finn decides that he's gonna he's gonna make the noble sacrifice. He's gonna crash his his skimmer into the big cannon before it blasts open the the door to their base, uh, and he gets he gets knocked out of the way at the last second by Rose Tika, who then who then states you know states the thesis of you know it's not about attacking what you hate, it's about saving what you Cheesy. love. And this is, and this is, a, 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 a and this is this is a, a problem because the movie, the movie fails to really explain well what makes Haldo's suicidal sacrifice noble, but then what makes Finn's potential suicidal sacrifice something to be avoided, unless we're meant to take that literally, unless this is meant to tell us, oh, we shouldn't, we we should hate Holdo, that's why she's not saved. We should love Finn, that's why he is saved. It's a moment that doesn't quite work for me, and part of it is, you know, that Rose, they don't, she's built up some in this movie, but not as much as, I guess it looks like her, her love for Finn, which doesn't really seem requited that, that moment doesn't quite hit home I, I think the way it should maybe if that had been done like in the next movie and they built it up even more it would have felt like a han and leia thing i don't quite know what they're going for Possibly. right and uh but but otherwise it's uh, a strange moment that uh, yeah like you said i i thought if finn would have died that would have been a good moment and a good shocker but they they didn't follow through uh, but finally, you know, we get we get the actual uh, actual climax uh, where, like, out of nowhere, Luke Skywalker shows up, and everybody is suitably awed. A younger uh, looking Luke. I actually, I I like the exchange because, like, he steps out in front of the base. They blow the shit out of him, but he's completely fine. Kylo Ren goes out. There's a confrontation, and I really do like that 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 bit of an exchange where you know he's saying, you know, yeah, you you can kill me, but then I'm going to be with you every day of your life, just like your father which I think is a really powerful exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, in the end, it's a duel, and that's when we realize this is this is Luke Skywalker astrally projecting just like Rey, just like Rey and Kylo did. Only for some reason, when he does it, it kills him. And I realize there is a bit of dialogue where Kylo Ren says, you shouldn't be able to do this. The strain would kill you. 
But we've just seen it not kill two people. I don't understand why Luke has to die by doing this. BJ, what are your thoughts? Oh, he he had to, to step away. There was a there was an issue with the baby. I think he's coming back to the. Oh, night. okay. Oh, I. Oh, here he is. That, that's a. That's okay. Did okay? Did you stop there? We we could do another one, two, three clap, and then just uh, cut this part out. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah, sure. Uh, tell tell me when you start again. And Thrasher, you and I were just keep rolling, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. One, two, three, clap. One, two, three. So, as so, where what were we? What were we on when you walked away, BJ? Uh, oh, oh, we. The skimmers. Yep. Um, so we were talking about the scene with uh, Luke astrally projecting himself and going against Kylo. Uh, d- did that really work for you, or what, what did you think about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, that's right. Was the same way he looked. Yeah. yeah. And Adam Driver is great. <laughs> yeah, and Driver is Adam Driver is great at screaming, and just he always has a, a, a simmering intensity that that just works really well in that scene. Like fire everything we fucking got. Yeah, and and they're just it, it it really is something to behold. And just where they fire the whole load, and and Luke just brushes it off his shoulder is like pretty neat. Is it's, it's a good. Do you think it should have killed him? Hmm. Yeah. So this is when the crystal foxes pay off because they ran into the the base with the resistance and there's this jingly sound on the soundtrack and it and it's at this point that they realize they can't hear that jingly sound meaning there must be a way out. Mm-hmm. And so we do finally, you know, the resistance, you know, escapes after that whole, you know, sending a transmission like oh no one's no one's coming to rescue us. Um and you know they, you know, Ray, Ray shows up, loads them all into the Falcon, uh, and they they fly away. So the resistance have been has been reduced to like twelve people, but 
Rey's got the sacred Jedi tech. She's ready to, to move forward. Luke Skywalker has become one with the Force, and Kylo Ren has suffered another massive defeat. And and I don't know. I feel like this movie is trying to end on a bittersweet slash hopeful note. But at this point, they're at they're at such a low point. You really you really do have to wonder. Well, where the hell do you go from here? Yes. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's random uh, resistance people with them. Sure. Well, they were also in. Well, there aren't a mining outpost. There would be earth moving equipment somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe the rocks instead could have been a, a rock monster. A rock monster! That's like the Balchinians in Men in Black 2, yeah. Oh, that too. Yep, yep. Oh, Lord. Um, Kick him in the grobnecks. Rule one. Yeah. Uh, and then the last shot of this movie is something they, they I think is a bit curious. It, it goes back to the, the slaves on Canto Bite, and one of them moves a broom into his hand with the force, which seems like an abuse of using the force, right? Well, I'm not saying it's 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 an abuse, but it is one of those things where, like, I guess I guess what I want to see is I want to see one of these kids escape. It's only a matter of time before one of those kids gets th- that kid gets threatened and just force chokes the person with the whip, which he wouldn't exactly be wrong to do. Isn't the implication but there I, I, that the force is in everybody, or everyone has some kind of force affinity, to use a West End term? Well. Well, we've been told in multiple movies that the Force is in everybody. I don't know why this is the one time that that message stuck. Why do? You, why the hell do you end this movie on a random-ass person? I, I think... I, <laughs> I think... I, I think it's because the main the main plot ends on such a down note. This was his way of ins- inserting a note of hope into the end of the film, but but it does seem a bit tacked on. And, yeah. if, and if I if I if, if I may, this is the first Star Wars movie where I checked my watch. When when did you check your watch? Uh, I checked my watch when the shuttles were heading down to the mining planet. It's at that mm-hmm. moment that I realized I'd been sitting in a theater for two hours. And there was no end in sight. And I was just like, how long, when, how long is this going to be? Agreed. Pacing was better. Um, uh, I'll look that up just a moment. So this movie is, I think it's it this movie is 152 movie. minutes. And the uh, other one is blah, blah, blah. The Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm is 142 minutes, 10 minutes shorter. Hmm. But it feels like 90 minutes because the pacing is, is bananas. Um, and J.J. Abrams is good with pacing, if nothing else, in, in setting up trilogies, as we pointed out last week. So, yeah, we had a... That's, this is quite a meaty, dare I say, feature-length discussion on The Last Jedi yeah. we've had here, and we'll do our other segments here in a moment. So I think... Uh, 
everyone, would, would you recommend, would you give a sequel yes or sequel no to Star Wars The Last Jedi? I say sequel yes. It It is sometimes contrary, just to be contrarian. Uh, and yet there, there's a lot of, there's enough good moments that, that I can recommend it. I, I like the Luke and Yoda and Rey and, and Kylo stuff. I, I agree the other stuff doesn't work quite as well. And I really love that um, the bombing sequence in the beginning. So possibly, I, I don't think we'll see Star Wars be this risky again in a long time. BJ. I'm going to give it a sequel, yes, if only because I want to see, you know, I want to see how they're going to write themselves out of this corner with the First Order under Kylo Ren, presumably completely victorious, uh, and the the Resistance being uh, gone, and the Republic uh, a, com- a complete non-entity. Um, that that being said, one one thing I'm, I, I think that I'm surprised we didn't mention is that it comes out that some of the people in Canto Bite are arms dealers. And it like the same dealers are supplying weapons to both the First Order and the a weapon profiteering. And like, yeah, yeah, and like that's that's really important. Mm-hmm. That could be a whole movie. I mm-hmm. hate how much that is dropped and then abandoned. And I think that sh- that should have been the heart of the that probably should have been the heart of the film, but the focus was taken elsewhere. But but in the end, I am giving this a sequel. Yes, if only out of curiosity. This, this, I, I, I suppose at best we can say that the Force, uh, that the Last Jedi has been a mixed blessing. Speaking of mixed blessings, uh, let's do pitch a sequel in which we come up with a sequel to this movie, pretending the real sequel never came out. Um, the, I have something in mind. You know, I, I think with the way this movie ends, you would um, start the next film and have Lando Calrissian we open on him he gets a message from Leia that I've been looking for you for ages where the hell are you and and Lando apologizes and and, and they meet at a uh, undisclosed location because they're such high-ranking respected members of the old school rebellion that they they just have a meeting just the two of them in the middle of their conversation both of them get assassinated Wow. And so right off the bat, you kill all the old school people. And so now for the Capper in the trilogy, it's just the new blood. And Kylo Ren has is, is like a junkie and is getting off so much on the dark side of the force that he's uh, being pretty reckless. And it, it's just would be my version of it would be just a really focused good guy versus bad guy. We got to it's like we got to take space Hitler out. And it would, I would do it kind of like um, the final mission in the video game Mass Effect Two, where it's a lot of like tension, where you're cross cutting between this this labyrinthian plan, and sort of like a Tarantino movie, things would, despite spending a lot of time explaining the plan, things would go wrong sometimes, and it would end with a, a lightsaber duel between Ray and Kylo, and. Um, Kylo so powerful now he would summon the force ghosts of Sith warriors past 
and Ray does the same with um, Jedi Heroes Past. And you have this uh, epic force ghost battle while Kylo and Ray have a physical fight. You have a spiritual fight and a physical fight going on simultaneously. And at the end, they both die. And um, you have the rebellion or the resistance looks the surviving members look directly at the camera and say, what now? And shrug. And it ends. <laughs> I would call it Star Wars Episode Nine, Operation Kill Kylo. <laughs> BJ. Yeah, that's true. It feels like the end of a trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yep. That was pretty cool. Delightful. Yeah. Cool. I say. <laughs> hmm. Neat. Right. I finally get the Clone Wars in a title. <laughs> Clone Wars to Thrasher. Right, so I'm going to do uh, Star Wars Episode Nine: Resolve of the Force. So in this movie, we're going to finally find out why the Republic hasn't done anything for two trilogies. They didn't. They couldn't strike back at the First Order because they were finishing something up. This movie's going to have a new Death Star, but it's the Republic's Death Star. The Republic has finally said, screw it. There's only one way we're going to end this, and this is with this is with 
absolutely asymmetrical violence. So the Republic is now in a position where it's going to use its Death Star to start blowing up First Order planets until the First Order surrenders. And it may even blow up one or two. Um, and so uh, the Resistance is is pretty horrified by this because now it means that the Republic is, is pretty much getting to be just as bad as the First Order. Uh, and... This leads to they, they they want to go on a they want to go on a desperate mission to to end all this and Ray is actually there's going to be a time jump a few years maybe a, a year or two maybe more is going to pass and Ray is actually going to be missing for the beginning of the film and there's going to be a little a little bit of a fake out of where's Ray Ray will Ray will show up she will uh, she will seek out Kylo Ren and who is now of course still in charge of the First Order although what's going to be great is that. General Hux and some other top generals in the First Order, they don't like Kylo Ren. And they're going to pull off their own Operation Valkyrie, which was the Nazi plot to kill Hitler. Um, They think that Ren is too unstable and they're tired of force users being in charge. Their plan is to assassinate him and replace him with a sane strategist who can help them win the war. The assassination is going to fail, but just barely. Uh, Kylo is going to be so messed up that you you're gonna think he's gonna become another Vader and just get replaced with cybernetics, but Ray's gonna find him and heal him, and they're gonna have this revelation. It's like we we've been wrong this whole time. It's not about who wins this conflict; it's about the conflict itself. And they decide that the best thing they can do is to just sort of end the war, uh, and they can't go back to their respective governments and tell them to stop, and so. The big climax of the of the movie is going to be the Republic Death Star in orbit over the uh, First Order capital, and they're getting ready to fire. And you know how I said I was disappointed that in the first movie, Kylo Ren stopped that blaster bolt, and then that never came up again? The Republic fires on the planet. Both Rey and Kylo Ren are down there. Using the Force, Rey and Kylo Ren stop the blast from the Death Star and then turn it back on its source. That's how they destroy the Death Star, and it's such a, such a shocking moment that they come forward and and demand that you know you we have to end this conflict. This is you know this this is bringing about a great unbalance in the Force. And when the First Order and the Republic are about to be like, we're going to keep fighting until the end, that's when we find out where, where Rey was at the beginning of the movie. Rey took the sacred Jedi texts and she published them. She made them open source. It turns out every anonymous background character in the movie has been reading the Jedi texts, has been influenced by them, and has become one with the, has become closer to the Force. And basically, Billions of anonymous Jedi uh, across the galaxy kind of come forward and, and say, no, now is the time for peace. And that's what ends the Star Wars. Very neat. All right, so uh, almost ready to wrap things up. But we have the final segment, or two more segments, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> what you're watching, uh, BJ, what, what have you been watching? <laughs> great and we'll discuss that next week but did um kind of like on a high level were you pleased were you pissed off all of the above hmm. 
Fascinating. Sure, sure. Right. Well, seeing Billy D. Williams on screen made me so happy. I didn't realize how much I'd missed him. Yeah. I feel like they had to have hooked up yeah. at some point. She what? A woman has needs. A woman has needs, and I mean, who's not to say there is some interspecies stuff? You know, Chewbacca seemed pretty cozy to Leia and Force Awakens. Not, <laughs> not cozy enough to get a medal, though. Well, <laughs> the reason he finally got the medal is is Chewbacca did things he wasn't willing to do when he was younger. Oh Lord. <laughs> I have to ruin everything. This this is going in a weird place. <laughs> oh, what do you think? Please don't speak. You think Carrie Fisher would get on a podcast? Well, not this one. No. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe. Peter Mayhew was nice. I got to meet him briefly at a Dragon Con in 98. Oh, yeah. Uh, super tall man. And, and he ended up marrying one of his fans, which is um, neat. And she was, you know, took care of him and stuff because he was in a lot of physical pain even in the late 90s. So that that, oh, that yeah. he was able to do these movies at all, and I suspect it's quite limited what he did, um, is, is really quite something. Yes. Right for the last one. Well, but not, not, not the, no shame with that. I think you know the body movements of um, the, the actor that took his place, or a good. Uh, he still moves like Chewbacca, right? I think it's a good performance, and those kind of performances get overlooked a lot. Um, yeah, so something I've been watching. Uh, the Oscar, as of this recording, you know, the Oscars are tomorrow, February 10th. I, I seem to recall the Oscars used to be later in February, but maybe I'm misremembering things. Um, I watched something. I'm not sure if it was nominated or not, but a lot of people are talking about it. Uh, Hustlers, a, a movie with Jennifer Lopez. Mm. Uh, Lizzo has a small part in it. Uh, it's based on a true story about strippers that uh, during the recession in the early 2010s, they um, bamboozle Wall Street types and max out their credit cards, and then they get a cut of the money the strip clubs earn. It it wants to be like Goodfellas, and it's not operating at that level. It's an interesting story, but a lot of the plot felt kind of repetitive, and I, it's the kind of thing I would rather see a documentary about. It's like a nice try, good acting, but it, I was not blown away by it. Thresher? 
So I decided to uh, to continue my my appreciation of great trash. I watched Roger Corman's original 1960s Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, I uh, I haven't seen that in since my college it, days. Um, it is such a delightful little can-do yeah. movie. Like not like none of, none of it should work, and yet it does. <laughs> Including the goofy out of nowhere Jack Nicholson cameo. Uh, for for years, I mean, I, th- I think the way we might want to do it, Thrasher and, and, and BJ too, of course, are invited. But uh, maybe just do the Poe pictures. Oh, right? that's true. We have talked about doing the Poe pictures, including the one that's secretly an HP Lovecraft. Yeah, uh, tracking those down will will we'll take some work. But I, I think that could be a, an entry level into it. Or I mean, sometimes we cheat on the show too with what we cover. We could always cheat. But um, yeah, no, Roger Corman, when he was really on fire doing his stuff, he did so much stuff. Uh, you know made a lot of movies with people that became stars in the future. And a lot of people were quite loyal to him. Um, there's a documentary about Roger Corman. I think came out about, Oh, maybe 10 or f- 10 or five years ago. Yeah. Um, I, I've yet to see it, but I've seen a really great clip where they got Jack Nicholson to talk about Roger Corman and like Jack Nicholson is in tears. Uh, just saying, like you know, he was he was literally a starving artist with all these kids, with, with a few children, and you know he he said, told Roger Corman, "You have to pay me more because I have to support my family." And Roger Corman did it just for Jack, and by all accounts, you know he's a great guy. Um, he, he's still with us, uh, which is fantastic. And he's still making movies. Uh, yeah, not as a director, but yeah, still producing stuff. I believe a lot of his stuff recently is in done maybe in like Romania or the Czech Republic. Um, one, I mean, the, the man's uh, got a legacy, and he has a absolutely. real eye for spotting up and coming talent. Um, do we have time for me to? Yeah, right. Uh, oh yeah. But but Thrasher, what did what did you think of the the picture that you saw? You overall, I really shot? liked yeah. it. I, I mean, the the overall the comedy worked. I really I really liked the performances. The ending, the ending is so so rushed. But it's rushed in a kind of fun B movie way. The end, like the yeah. movie just decides, okay, it's time to end. I think it was filmed over a weekend or something on this. Uh, yeah, as the story goes, the movie was literally made on a bet because Roger Corman had had like a reputation for making films so so quickly and cheaply that someone he knew had challenged him. Like, I bet you can't do a whole production from script to final cut in a weekend, and he did. This was a movie he, that was made, I think, over the course of. Th- three or four days from writing the script to getting the edit done. Yeah. Well, I don't think you're saying that it was edited and shot in four days, but you're saying the production. Well, okay, I guess edited probably no. not because you would have to and develop the, music, the film, but yeah. everything short of that was done. That's, that, that's incredible. And that, Oh, oh, yeah, no, I'm not taking anything away. Um, and I, because we're talking about sequels, I have to tell a really quick Roger Corman story about um, Carnosaur. Recall that? He, he, he produced that. Oh, yeah. It was based on a novel, which surprised the shit out of me. But it came out before Jurassic Park. I've heard the phrase mockbuster tossed around for these sort of things, right? Or something, movie comes out and, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you get something vaguely related 
Uh, that's what I was thinking. Thank you. Yeah, transmorphers. It's <laughs> one of my favorite things. Um, so, with Carnosaur, you know, that did really well. Carnosaur 2, not as well, but still profitable. Carnosaur 3, eh, eked out a profit. Carnosaur 4, what it made was about equal to what the budget was. And also for each sequel, Roger Corman made the budget lower and lower because he, for his movies, they <laughs> each sequel tends to make less. They're not big theatrical releases, right? It's all direct-to-video. Carnosaur might have been in theaters, actually. but, um, And when the the budget and the earnings of Carnosaur 4 met, Roger Corman says, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. We're not making another Carnosaur. And I think this just kind of shows you how he works. I mean, he's just such a shrewd businessman. He, um, yeah, I don't know. A, a, a real beloved figure. I'd, I'd love to, I should read a biography on him. I need to learn more about him. And, and I need to track down that documentary. Um, indeed, um, Robert Rodriguez, who did, um, oh, fuck, Desperado and, and stuff like that from Dusk Till Dawn, um, his first thing was El Mariachi, which he filmed in Mexico, like with money he got from donating his body to medical experience, uh, experiments. And he has a great book called Rebel Without a Crew. And he says the problem when you get a lot of big budgets is you use the money hose to solve all your problems. You just throw money at it. And it's the constraints, I think, that makes better art a lot of the time. So, uh... Oh, yeah. Uh, so... Oh, how, how did that work? Smart. Was it 20 bucks for a jar? How much did that go for in that overpriced student shop? Uh, that's right, yeah. They still... They still do... I mean, I read a statistic somewhere that um, anytime you need to print something, you should do Kinko's every time because that will save you money, Period. Which I, I've never tested that, but it it's given me food for thought. I know what they charge, though. I find that hard to believe. I you know if you, you if you do a lot of like black and white printing, a, a laser printer is a good investment. Those are fairly cheap. Um, yep. Okay, so we need to wrap things up. Uh, I thought you were saying, but we have the sequel scene. So, if you could paste paste that in the chat, Thrasher. Oh, sure. I'm going to uh, grab that text. I right apologize. Now. We are running late. Um, God, sorry. I think I lost the. Uh... Ah, here we go. Let me just. So pull the scene he picked. It's 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 not a three for. It's a two for. I don't three for. That's not even a word. Um, I. I couldn't find sure. any good good transcripts that involved uh, multiple characters, which again make it feel less like Star Wars. Uh, to your point, um, so it it is a the Luke and Yoda scene. Oh, I would like to play Yoda 
Um, BJ, would you want to be Luke? Are you okay with that, Thrasher? Well, I'm fine with it. Do you want to be Luke, BJ? Okay. Uh, Thrasher, why don't you be the narrator? All right, I will be the narrator. So, uh, Yoda appear. However you want to play him. I would say follow your muse. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Great. Okay. And so Yoda appears as a ghost. Yon Skywalker. Yoda summons lightning to burn down the tree and the Jedi texts. He laughs. <laughs> ah, Skywalker, missed you have I. Time it is for you to look past a pile of old books. <clears throat> oh, read them, have you? Page-turners, they were not. Yes, yes, yes. Wisdom they held, but that library containing nothing that the girl Ray does not already possess. Skywalker still look into the horizon. Never here, now. The need in front of your nose. Lost Ben Solo, you did. Lose Ray, we must not. Heeded my words not, did you? Pass on what you have learned. Strength, mastery, but weakness, folly, failure also. Yes, failure most of all. Thrasher hates this line, he does. The greatest teacher <laughs> failure is. Luke, we are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters. Hmm. Power converters, indeed, <laughs> you do not. Converter, I can do. Bumpy ride it is. Hold on. Man, if we... I'm just imagining Tosh at Tashi Station, you know, that very day. is like, well, we needed to sell two more power converters, but we can't, so we're going to have to go out of business. Uh, Robot Chicken did the joke that uh, Tashi Station and the power converters was the name of a strip club. I bet. Um, sounds like it. <laughs> As a, All right. So th this has been a fun you know sand would sand would get into every crevice uh... it's coarse and gritty <laughs> it's everywhere boy boy howdy also we've seen what credits look like they're like these little metal sticks how do you how do you 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 tip somebody with those at a strip club I am not. I am not a prevert. I'm you, sorry. You, nature's wallet. You, N nature's pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let Bender pick your pocket. Wallet, pocket, testicles, and watch. Okay, let's end this. Uh, you l let's 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 end this like the past. Die. We must kill it. Uh. <laughs> Um, well, hey, I can only save one of you. Hey, BJ, do you have do you have dun, something dun, to plug? Dun. Okay.
I love that idea. Thrasher, do you have, when's the next time your kettle of fish is going to put on a LARP? Uh, that, well, actually, I am going to Savannah next weekend to run a LARP at the request of the SCAD Gamers Guild. That was a, a student organization that uh, BJ and I were both members of and I was president of for two years. Uh, so that's technically that's going to be the next uh, Kettle of Fish Productions LARP, although that's, you know, students only. Um, that being said, we are going to be at the Origins Game Fair and at Gen Con. Yeah, we're going to try to get back to Dragon Con this year. Oh, nuts. Oh. You can't let that stop you, BJ. <laughs> they, yeah. They have hospitals in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> Home of the Waffle House. I would love to hear him yeah. say that. Uh, yeah, Um, you can... I'm trying to think what convention things I'm going to do. I'm trying to do a panel at Portland Retro Gaming Convention, which this year has moved up to August. I've done it there years past. And I'm trying to, Thrasher and I are, are trying to work to get them up here to Portland for the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Um, we're trying to do a panel there, so we'll see what happens. So we got some... I, I agree. I've been saying that for the past oh, decade. Yeah. Um, I'm unemployed right now, but after that, yes, I will be very interested. So, uh, follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. That, that's a wise <laughs> decision. Uh, for SequelCast 2, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying. Uh, it's, it's about your mother. My mother? My mother? What know you of her? I, I the thing is I want like a teddy bear in a first order uniform that's called General Hugs. Okay, you're right. Never mind. Strike that. I, I Don't bet do you it. there's already something on Etsy with that description. It just <laughs> Excuse me, did you call me General Hugs? Oh, that sounds like more like C3PO. Okay, this was fun. There's also like hand blown glass uh glass marijuana pipes called uh Supreme Leader Toke. Um, and, and I'm sure there's uh, Yoda dildos. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, good night, fellas. Hey. Good night. <laughs> or morning, as the case may be.